Good morning, Rosemont Bible Church. It's good to be with you, at least virtually. Um, I think there were signs of spring this week. Um, I looked outside our, our back door onto our back uh, patio, and there are two doves sitting there. I'm pretty sure it's the same doves that come back every year. They're looking up into the window like they're expecting me to throw some bread or some seed out to them. Um, there's also been signs of spring because my wife has become very active. Uh, she asked me to dig out the pathway some 50 feet with snow up to my waist out to the uh, my work shed because she has some, some renovations she wants to do. That's certainly a sign of spring. And of course, she has already uh, had me take her to the hardware store and we bought some seeds and some soil and some little pots and she has started her flowers and some of her vegetables. So spring is here. Kind of reminds me of this, that wonderful um, gem of, Jew, of English poetry, which I learned when I was a young boy, probably the only um, English poem I remember from school. It goes something like this, uh, spring has sprung, the grass is riz, I wonder where the birdies is. And so that was uh, uh, the sight of those doves this morning, this, this week was very, very helpful. The people among whom our Lord Jesus walked and with whom he worked and with whom he ministered were not agricultural people. Um, a large percentage of those people lived on farms, worked on farms. Um, fields and farms were part of their culture, part of their life. And so it's not surprising that our Lord's parables were often uh, uh, taken from farm life, from agricultural principles. And that's the case this morning as we go through Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34, principles of kingdom growth. So let's read those passages. passages. There are three parables here. And the first parable is a lamp under a basket, verses 21 through 25. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still will, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then the second parable in verses 26 to 27, the parable of the seed growing. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprout, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And the third parable is the parable of the mustard seed, verses 30 through 34. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. 
Yet when it is grown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This morning, we're going to do an introduction. Then we're going to talk about the parable of a light under a basket, and then the parable of the, of the seed growing, and then the parable of the mustard seed, and we'll have a conclusion and some applications. Let's start off with our introduction. Um, we'll be looking at three parables this morning, and they must be understood in their context. It's very important as we go through the Gospel of Mark that we look at the context of what's going on. Jesus has just given the parable of the seeds or the sower. And, and from verse 10 of this chapter 4, from verse 10 on, he's alone with his disciples, not with the multitude anymore. The, the parable of the sower of the seeds was given to the multitude on the seashore. But these three parables are given to his disciples. And he has, he has explained to them the meaning of the parable of the seeds. And he continues his explanation with three other parables that further advance this theme and explain it more clearly, more deeply. So we cannot interpret these three new parables without referencing them to the parable of the seeds. Now, now to properly understand the Gospel of Mark, we must understand the principle of the messianic secret. We, we are only in chapter four, uh, but already in chapter one, we had seen that Jesus severely ordered the leper not to tell others how he had been healed. And in chapter 3, Jesus commanded the impure spirits not to make him known. In chapter 8, we will later see that Jesus orders the healed blind man not to return into the village. And when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah in Mark 8.29, Jesus strictly charges the disciples not to tell others about who he is. Certainly, Jesus was not interested in being declared an earthly king. And the Jewish people uh, were looking for a Messiah who would be a military leader to deliver them from the Romans. Jesus healed the sick and he performed acts of mercy to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies and to offer some evidence of who he was and because of his compassionate heart, of course. But Jesus was much more interested in teaching in preaching and declaring God's kingdom and the conditions to enter that kingdom. And even Jesus' closest disciples did not fully understand who he was and why he had come to earth. Think about their despair when Jesus was crucified. They did not understand what was going on. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we will see that Jesus slowly reveals who he is. But it was only after his resurrection and ascension that his disciples fully understood. Our Lord's mission and person could only be understood in the light of the cross. The world in which we live today does not understand who Jesus is, that's clear. They will understand when he returns to earth in glory to judge the world, to renew all creation and to finally establish his kingdom. So the identity of Jesus, his true nature, his mission, all remain the messianic secret throughout the Gospel of Mark. The parables we will see this morning 
expand on that concept. Let's look now at the parable of the light under a basket in verses 21 to 25. Now in verse 21, the expression uh, is a lamp to be brought in, that's the ESV translation, the Bible that's used in the, uh, as a pulpit Bibles at the, in our, in our building. Um, the NIV translates it, do you bring in a lamp? Um, uh, uh, that could be better translated, a lamp comes. The, the verb tense in the original is not that someone's bringing a lamp into a room, but by the way, the lamp is coming almost by itself. In John chapter 1, and throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is the light coming into the world. John 1.9, the true light which gives light through everyone was coming into the world. So the light here is not about us presenting the gospel, but about the Lord Jesus Christ himself who has come. And Jesus did not come to be hidden, but to be revealed to all. The reign and rule of God has come in Jesus, but they are not yet fully revealed uh, for several reasons, because Jesus does not regularly manifest his glory. He did that at the transfiguration, but that was exceptional. The old age is still with us and Satan is still at work. So Jesus has not fully revealed himself as he is. Jesus' identity could only be revealed after his death and resurrection and more completely at his second coming. Mark 14, Verse 52, we'll see in a number of weeks, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In verse 22, the light may be hidden temporarily. And here again, reference, references made to that messianic secret. Jesus often forbid demons, people he healed, and his own disciples from declaring what he had done and who he was. We'll read Mark 8, 27 through 30 to show that. We read that on the way, he, Jesus, asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. But there's a limit to the duration of the messianic secret. We have seen the death, resurrection, ascension of our Lord. The Lord is going to come back someday. In verses 23 through 25, Jesus again emphasizes how we must listen to his word. We find the word measure, and it's a Jewish traditional expression. We must receive Jesus' words with a rich and profound measure accompanied by ignorance, ignorance and joy. The idea of what we possess in verse 25 informs us that what we will possess when the kingdom comes in and Jesus' identity is fully revealed will depend on what we possess now. Present possession of God's word depends upon our hearing, appropriating, or rejecting Jesus' word. The light has come. God has entered the world through the word of the kingdom announced by Jesus. The matter of how we respond to Jesus' word is of ultimate importance. That is why in verse 24, Mark has told us to pay attention, to take heed. Only those who understand the mystery about Jesus in the present 
will share in the glory that is to be revealed. And now the second parable, the parable of the seed growing, verses 26 through 29. Now this parable is found only in Mark's gospel. And the sower here plays a very minimal role. Actually, the seed grows without without any effort from the sower. And that shows us that the success of the Christian message does not depend on human effort or understanding, but on divine power. Now, of course, we must scatter the seed. That's our role. But it is God who gives the increase. Now, for the Jews who listened to Jesus in their culture and their belief, the growth of plants was considered to be the wondrous work of God, not simply a result of the laws of nature. We may be discouraged when we read the parable of the seeds, the parable of the sower that we saw last week, hearing Jesus' warnings about those who do not receive the word. But the message of this parable is that the harvest is assured. It's certain. The time of waiting for the final revelation of the kingdom is a time for sowing. That's what we should be doing. The seed is the authoritative presentation of Jesus. And that seed is never barren. It always bears fruit. Now, the harvest certainly refers to the final judgment. The words are directly drawn from Joel 3.13, almost a quote. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The bats overflow, for their evil is great. The sower here is the same person who reaps the harvest. Our Lord Jesus Christ sowed the word when he was on earth. When comes time for harvest during the final judgment, he will reap the harvest. Very, very clear in the book of Revelation. The third parable is the parable of the mustard seed, verses 30 through 34. Now, the mustard seed is very tiny. Its smallness was proverbial among the Jewish people. Now, smaller seeds are known to us today. For instance, certain orchid seeds. Um, are smaller than the mustard seed. But in Jesus' time, it was certainly, the mustard seed was certainly the smallest seed sown by farmers in Palestine. And the black mustard seed, that's the type of seed that's being referred to here, uh, it typically typically grows into a plant which is between about 3.7 meters high, more than 10 feet high. Um, It was the largest of all garden plants. Uh, Pliny, the great Greek Author tells us that the black mustard seed was used to treat serpent and scorpion bites, toothache, indigestion, asthma, epilepsy, tetanus, dropsy, lethargy, and other illnesses. Perhaps the doctors at RBC might consider putting some black mustard seed in the little bags they carry around with them. The emphasis here is the contrast between the small beginnings and the enormous consummation of the kingdom. Think of the contrast between Jesus and the 12 disciples in the tiny tiny province of Roman Palestine and the church today. In the year 2020, there were 2.382 billion professing Christians in the world. That's 31% of all humans. Evangelicals make up perhaps 620 million people. That's a whole lot more than 12 disciples. 
Now in the book of Daniel and in other Old, Old Testament passages, a huge tree speaks of a kingdom. In Ezekiel 17, the birds in the great tree, in context, that great tree is a symbol of Israel, very clear there in Ezekiel 17. These birds are a symbol of blessing, perhaps the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's kingdom. Ezekiel 17, 22, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs, the tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble Caesar, and under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will rest. Now, perhaps you've heard the interpretation that this rapid growth represents the apostate church and that the birds are symbols of evil. But, but I, I really strongly feel that that rips this parable from its context. The parables in this chapter are about sowing and reaping, harvesting, about the small mysterious beginnings to the kingdom and the glorious consummation, the harvest. Conclusion. And some applications. Note in verse 24 how the farmer sleeps and rises, is patient and confident that the seed will produce a good harvest. Now, like this farmer, we must demonstrate unhurried patience. I worked a number of summers on a potato farm when I lived in New Brunswick. And um, I'll tell you that in the spring, we are in a hurry. Our growing season is not that long in northern New Brunswick. And uh, in the spring, we desperately waited for things to dry out enough so that we could plow and toil to uh, uh, work the soil. And then we had uh, machines uh, which plant tomatoes four rows at a time. And we would take turns. I would drive the tractor for a while, and then I would get on back doing the dusty job, uh, making sure that the, um, the machinery that threw the potatoes down onto the knives, which cuts the potatoes in four and um, distributed them in the four soils that, that we didn't miss a potato. The farmer I was working with would check to make sure that there was a potato, potato piece at every, at every place. He was not happy if we were missing some. And um, so, so I know what it means to be in a hurry when you're sowing. And then during the summer, you don't do a whole lot, but in the fall when it's harvest time, uh, you have to get the, the potatoes in before the frost sets in. Sometimes it rains and you get, so it's really, really stressful during harvest. And, and here in the soil, the farmer sows and then he sleeps and rises as he patient. Like this farmer, we must demonstrate unhurried patience. The farmer leaves the growth to God while continuing his daily routine. James 5, 7 to 8 tells us, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The growth takes place because, the, uh, because of the inerrant power of the seed, Jesus' words. The kingdom of God is unstoppable stoppable by human unbelief or opposition. I was greatly encouraged this week to read about a revival in Iran and in, and in Afghanistan. I think if there are two countries where I do, would not expect people to come to the Lord in crowds 
it would be those two countries. I don't want to say too much. Um, we don't talk a lot, of, a lot about the details on the internet, but it's wonderful that the seed is bearing fruit in those two difficult countries. The kingdom of God is unstoppable by human unbelief or opposition. The growth of the seed was partially hidden, at least in the beginning. It does not matter that kingdom growth is hidden. Something is taking place underground that will become fully visible in due course. Bill S. Bill S. Bill S. Iklan, excuse me, Bill, that I can't pronounce your name. He knows that the imagery Jesus employs is not that of marching armies, heroic deeds, valorous exploits, political activism, but humble, homely images of sowing, tilling, and harvest. The seed is scattered, scattered. it falls, it lies on the ground and meets a variety of fates. Instead of striking out defiant and aggressive, the kingdom of God appears lowly and vulnerable. The seed is subject to adversity, rejection, delays, and loss. The parables contain no promise of instant and universal triumph. These parables install confidence that overcomes despair. In our hurried age, we want instant gratification and success. We easily become discouraged. We cannot see the development of a seed under the ground. These parables assure us that when we sow the seed of the gospel, it will accomplish its purpose. We may not be the ones who harvest the bounty, but it's not our harvest. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9, the harvest belongs to God. These parables make the case that the seed's success does not depend on our feeble efforts. The seed grows without our assistance. Yet Jesus did not intend to encourage inertia or sloth on the part of his people. Nor does awareness of this principle spare us these sleepless nights that Paul, for example, said he spent worrying about his churches. Jesus' parable does caution us from thinking that the kingdom is furthered by our grand schemes or our latest programs. I'm a book publisher whole lot of books are coming out on church growth and techniques. And I believe the churches should be intentional and we should try to find ways of reaching people. Church growth experts try to figure things out to help us map out our strategies, okay, but never, let us never forget that it is God that gives the increase. The parables encourage patient faith. In an age of instantaneous communication, at a time when we ask ourselves, why do microwaves take so long? Waiting can be intolerable. We're always in a hurry, that's our culture. Some may expect to grow the, uh, to plow the field, uh, plant the seed, reap the harvest, thresh the grain, and bake the cake all in one worship service. The parables do not promise instantaneous growth. God gives the growth and it follows an order that cannot be hurried or bypassed. One must learn to allow the seed to do its work, to allow the word to persuade and to convert. The mystery of the Son of God, a messianic mystery. And glad I live today 
I've seen the Lord's death, his resurrection, his ascension, at least in the scriptures by faith, waiting for him to come again, waiting for the kingdom to be displayed in all its glory to come. May the Lord bless you all this week. May he encourage you. It looks like vaccination is becoming um, more common. I understand that in Montreal, you're going to have 25 people in churches starting next week. We have 100 people in our churches here in, in the rest of Quebec. Um, and um, while we're waiting, may the Lord give us patience. May he be present with us. May we realize his presence. May we be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, we spend our time doing a lot of things. We invest in a lot of projects. We're thankful that when we invest in your kingdom, when we sow your seed, the seed of the gospel, that we are assured that we are fighting a battle which we will win. We are assured that the kingdom is going to grow, that the seed is going to grow. It will bear fruit because it depends on the quality of the seed. It depends on the quality, excellence of God's word, the message of the gospel. Father, make us faithful in sowing, faithful in praying, in being concerned about souls, and help us to trust in you and not substitute our plans and our ways for your grace and your power and your determination that, church would, that the church will be built and that the kingdom will come. Encourage your people. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.